Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. There's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not know you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Shall Inherit. I'm Daniel Pickett. I'm Jason Lindsay. And we're a little late this week. We apologize for that. Yes, but the good news is we're not pregnant. (laughs) What? Wait a second. That's not what I... We're a little late, but... What I meant was we didn't we did not have an episode on Monday. Oh, right, 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 right. Not that we had like a scare huh. with our with our cycles. Oh, because you know it's funny we're on the same cycle. Um, you know we work so closely together that that most people don't know that, but Daniel and I are on the same same cycle. Uh, that is true. And the same lunar cycle for our lycanthropy, which people don't know, but some people know. some people will now. Everyone knows. They don't know for long. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I hear you. I don't, yeah. I don't get what you mean. Um, well, because we. But as usual, we have about 73 uh, topics, I believe, this episode. Yeah, there's a lot, <laughs> and there's a lot. There's a lot that even you know we're we're doing this up to the minute. So there's there's some fresh breaking news, but then there's even more. Like just as I was putting this list together today, I was like, oh, we didn't. You know, we're not going to get to. Uh, you know, like Dan Aykroyd talking about Ghostbusters 3 plot details. Uh, there was a new Wolverine trailer that came out. Oh, we're gonna have to, I haven't even seen that. I don't even know the new Wolverine get, trailer. Yeah, it came out uh, yesterday or today. Look, I love Dan Aykroyd, and I have such mixed emotions about the thought of, the, of, of a new Ghostbusters, but can you think of something that's been talked about more? I, probably the fourth Indiana Jones, that's something that's been talked about so much back and forth that, that, that so many ultimatums where there's been no movement. They could have made the movie three times already in the, the amount of time we've been talking about this. We could have been on Ghostbusters 6 by now. Exactly. Um, I always thought what they should do is a, is a kick-ass CG animated Ghostbusters. You know, really go crazy with it. And that way you don't have to worry about you know, how they might look or anything. That's true. You know, and Murray doesn't have to worry about being on set too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he can do it uh, in his smoking jacket from the side of the pool. Exactly. Which I, I'm sure he'd prefer. Uh, but let's get started right away. You've got uh, lots you're excited about. Again, I am. But if I, I, if I have to narrow it down to one thing, yes. uh, it was the announcement... Uh, on Monday, actually, this came out yesterday, that, you know, we were all sad. Well, not all of us. Some people were very sad when Clone Wars went away. Uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, there were some episodes that were really great and really uh, carried the narrative forward. And then there were some that were just, you know, sucky political cartoons again, kind of like the prequels. But uh, they were really kind of getting a head okay. full of steam and, and, and really going in a great direction, the, the, the tail end of this season, and then it all went away. Uh, I think it wrapped up fairly well. It leaves some questions open. They could probably do a follow-up movie. Uh, but we, we just didn't know what was next, but we knew it had something to do with Disney being bought, uh, or uh, Star Wars being bought by Disney, 
and now we know that there's going to be a new animated series uh, that some of the same people, like Dave Filoni, is still working on it. It is called Star Wars Rebels, and it is going to be in that time period between Episode 3 and 4 about the birth of the Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of what we've been looking for. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, don't you, doesn't it feel like this is... Um, I mean, I'm sure this is, we're going to have so much of this stuff in so many different mediums that are going to lead to the new films, which, my God, are... I mean, they're, they're, they're moments away. I mean, they really have to get moving very quickly on those, those new movies. Um, but yeah, this, this is cool. Now, Filoni was the guy that pretty much was in charge. He did not... Wasn't Tartofsky the guy, Gendy or Gendy Tartofsky, who did um, Samurai Jack and loads of other stuff? He was the guy that did the original, like, two-and-a-half-minute animated shorts, traditional animated shorts that started the whole Clone Wars thing. Is that, is that right? That is correct, yeah. That was the one that sort of bridged the gap between Episode 2 and 3, where you first see uh, General Grievous, you find out why he's asthmatic, which they never really explained in the films. Oh, you, would right. need to have, you would need to have seen these, uh, these shorts. But yeah, those were very, very stylized. Uh, not a lot of dialogue, those but they great. were fantastic. Those were great. Those were like... Those were the, a perfect example of what we'd been missing. I remember watching those things, and they were, you know, they were like two and a half minutes long, if that. And you'd finish them and just be like, "Oh my God, I want, I want ninety more minutes of this. This is, this is what you, 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 you." I felt like you knew, right, even then, that they were already trying to play catch up. Whoever had that idea, they already were kind of going, "Okay, we're running out of time rapidly." We need to get to story and action and, and um, history before we run out of movies. And we, yes. this is how we're going we're gonna to sort of do it. And I remember the, the fan response was, was incredible because that's what everybody was saying. They were like, well, now, here we go. You know, now it's happening. Um, but I don't feel like, I don't know if Filoni was involved and I don't know whose fingers are in what pie, but I never felt like, and granted, I haven't seen the whole the, all of the episodes of the of this the CG uh, Clone Wars, I never felt like it it built up that kind of steam the way those shorts did, uh, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do you well, agree it, or? Well, it, uh, no. I mean, I, I think there were some episodes that that were not maybe not as good, but but very very good. But the, you know, it, it had such a stumble uh, straight out of the gate with that uh, theatrical release of those weird episodes of going after Jabba's swishy nephew or whatever? No, no, it was his, it was his swishy... Oh! No, you're right. It was his nephew. I thought it was his uncle, but no, it was his, ne- his nephew. I remember going to a preview screening of that. Um, Jason Labowitz and Entertainment Earth got invited through, I don't know, Lucasfilm or Hasbro or whatever it was, and I went to a preview screening of that at uh, the Chinese theater. I don't think I even finished it. I had somewhere to be, actually, later, but I, so I, I kind of had to... But I, I couldn't... I, I left probably 20 minutes before the end, but I could not believe when that character showed up. Like, I thought, this is either the most subversive, you know, clever thing that we've ever seen in the Star Wars movies, or someone has lost their mind completely. It was just so odd, you know? Yeah. 
it was like Charles Nelson Riley put on a, a Jabba suit and uh, got involved. Yeah, it was very, very strange. Yeah. But we, we, we had a little tease that something was coming because Filoni, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, uh, posted a picture on his Twitter account of him like sketching a TIE fighter and said, oh man, it's been a long time since I've been able to draw a TIE fighter for work. Oh. And so I was like, well, what's going on? And he sort of, he's, he seems to be a very um, divisive sort of character for the fans as well. They, some embrace him and some think he's been hanging around too long, kind of, I hear. Uh, I haven't heard that, but that's entirely possible. Yeah. But, okay, so when is this any word when this thing is going to launch? or It's going to be in 2014, and it's going to be on Disney XD. Disney XD. And speaking of Disney XD, um, remember the Tron animated series that was so good? Uh, Tron Uprising, was that what it was called? Yes. Is on Netflix Instant. It is not available on DVD that I've been able to find, and I, I don't know if there's a release date yet. But uh, for those of you that missed it, because it got shuffled around, and sometimes it was on at like, you know, two in the morning or whatever, uh, you can watch the entire series on uh, Netflix on Instant. Uh, a, a very underrated show, I think, and one that's going to be remembered. Uh, hopefully, it'll come back maybe in some form if uh, that third movie gets going. I don't know, but I thought it was terrific. Um, yeah, it's it's well worth checking out. It was very, very well done. Yeah, didn't you feel like it sort of had that adult... I always say this about the you know uh, certain animated series. The, the benchmarks for me are Batman, the animated series, and all those incarnations, you know, the adventures of Batman and Robin or whatever they ended up calling them. And I know I'm biased because I love the character so much, but the filmation Flash Gordon series from 79 uh, I think is a huge high watermark and in some ways the Star Trek animated series by, by Filmation in, in the mid 70s as well where it was being done with a very adult sort of tone uh, still accessible to the to the youngsters but um, very smart very sharp writing just kind of a cut above and I felt like we were getting that with this Tron thing it reminded me in some ways, of Batman the Animated Series and just the, the tone of it. Yep. Um, so uh, a nice little gem there. If you're into Tron and you never saw it, now's your chance. That's right. So, well, that's very exciting. So how about you? What are you excited about? Well, this is uh, completely unrelated, but um, very cool news, I think. Uh, a band called Blur, for those of you that aren't familiar, came out of the, the Britpop scene in the U.K., uh, you know, early 90s, had a couple of sort of seminal records from that time, like Modern Life is Rubbish, Park Life. Um, people probably that don't, that probably don't know, know Blur would know the song, Song 2, which was, I believe it was used for that Intel ad. You know, everybody yes. knows that it's like that, woohoo! And everybody knows it because it's this, you know, big crowd pleasing, you know, sing along, chant along. Uh, but they're they're a great group. And then and then Damon Alburn, who's the lead singer, um, went off and did a project called Gorillas. They made a couple of records. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the good, the the bad, and the queen. Wait, good, the bad, and the queen. 
uh, was another offshoot record that he that he did uh, with Paul Simonon from the from the Clash and some other guys. So he's very very prolific, very bright guy, and and they sort of had unofficially split uh, some years back. You know, early um, was it two thousand. Three, two thousand four, something along those lines. Graham Coxon, who was the lead guitarist, um, they had some differences. He kind of took off, and they kind of went went away. But then they've been sort of popping up here and there at a you know a festival here, and you know Glastonbury there, and then there's suddenly there's a surprise single that will get re- gets released on vinyl only for the weekend or whatever. Well, apparently they were at uh, a show in Hong Kong, some big concert. And just very casually, Damon Alburn announced to the audience that, hey, we're in Hong Kong for a couple of weeks. We thought we would go ahead and cut uh, an album. So he basically made the announcement that they are going to start recording a new record. They're probably recording it as we speak. And it's one of those things, it's kind of the unthinkable, like suddenly David Bowie coming out of nowhere with that record the the next day and uh, it being, you know, wonderful these guys, uh, you know, you hear rumors about certain groups all the time, whether they might be coming back or doing things. Uh, this sounds pretty solid. So we could have a new Blur album uh, within the year, I think. And it's, they're, they're a great, great group. They've made some great records. They're a great singles band. Um, if anyone doesn't really know them, I would get started with Park Life from uh, 93, 94. Uh, mm-hmm. Great record, um, lots of great, great tunes. Uh, so that was that was pretty pretty exciting to to read. Uh, and also, Daft Punk have a new record coming out. Uh, I think it's out it's now. Out? Is it? Yeah, I think it came out last week. They're on the cover of the NME, the British Weekly, and uh, the quote on the cover from them it's, it's exclusive interview with the most famous robots on planet Earth. And of course, they're in their robot gear on the cover, and it says. The quote is, we don't have egos, we have superpowers. Huh. Now, any musicians that can make that claim are going to get my 12 bucks. Uh, we need more, more musicians with superpowers, if you ask me. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, rave on, Blur. I can't wait to hear what you got coming up next. Do you, do you know when it's coming out? They No, very, very sketchy. Um, they, they really have been keeping people on their toes with lots of misinformation and little teases and things just about some of the singles that they've even done the past you know year um so nothing yet but um i mean it's kind of remarkable that, that they're like oh we're in hong kong we got a couple of weeks we thought we'd cut a record to me that means they've got a backlog already they've got you know a good handful of, of tunes probably put together um so I don't know. Maybe by the fall. Maybe holidays. Okay. Maybe under the under the Festivus poll. Maybe. Hmm. Just in time to air our grievances. Yes. Exactly. So yeah. Well, I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a curveball here. I'm gonna talk about something not on the uh, the outline, but uh, I I think it's something very important to you because if you know we we spent a lot of time together. We know we've spent over seventy three hours together. <laughs> Uh, with this podcast, and, and if there's one thing I think I know about you, is that you want to get into Mark Hamill's pants. <laughs> wow! Of and, all the of all the things to discovered to have uncovered about me in those 73 hours, you couldn't have found one 
more on the money than me wanting to get in Mark Hamill's pants. And speaking of money, now is your chance because the sand-colored Levi's that Mark Hamill wore in the original Star Wars film are going up for auction. Get out! They're up for auction right now. The current bid, what would you say? How much would you pay for Mark Hamill's screen-worn pants? We're talking about 1976, because it was you know shot in 76. The right. 77, we're talking Star Wars, as we knew it before they called it A New Hope, Episode 4 or whatever. One of his pair of jeans. You know what's remarkable to me, though, right off the bat? And I found this out oh. a few years ago. You know, Han Solo, uh, his outfit, his, his wardrobe, he was wearing blue jeans. Yeah. I n- never would have thought that in a million years that, he would, that, those would, that would have been that simple, that that's what they, that's what they used. And um, so the Hamill thing is, is hilarious that this is the first I'm ever hearing this. He wore sand-colored jeans. They are cotton drill pants uh, made by Levi Strauss and company. Wow. Uh, they were customized by the famous London costumer Bermans and Nathan. Oh, yeah. So there's so they're still an original tag sewn into them, you know, saying that with their address. Uh, but what do, you, what do you think? How what much, do you think the high bid is up to right how now? How much time we got left on the auction? Uh, looks like it ends, oh, gosh, uh, looks like it's, it's up for two weeks. Oh, no, they've been up for two weeks, and it ends today at five. I'm going to say I'm going to say we are up to 9 grand. Uh, a little higher. Oh, okay, I'm going to say we're up to 12 grand. We're a little shy of 30 grand. 30 current. grand? 29834. Holy macaroni. But they estimate their value between 70 and 100,000 dollars. And they still fit. You know, yes, right. you know what's ironic about this? Hamill's, a, Hamill's kind of a goofball, I think. He's, he's one of those guys that I think would, would prefer to just sit and talk about comic books rather than his kids. Do you know what I mean? He just Oh, absolutely. He's a massive nerd, but he, I think he's just a goofball, too. And he, and he, he always has been. Like I remember the, that famous People magazine with 3PO on the cover you know, July or August of uh, 77, saying he, here's the, you know, the movie of the summer kind of thing. And the shot of him inside with his then-girlfriend, he's wearing a Howard the Duck t-shirt. Yep. So he was always flying his flag. So when he was talking about getting these phone calls about episode 7 and possibly coming back, his analogy about, like, how does it feel? Like, isn't this weird? Like, would you ever have thought and I, his analogy or his response was something along the lines of, you know what it's like? It's like, it's like putting on an old pair of jeans and finding a $20 bill in your pocket. Like, you know, like a nice little surprise. Like, oh, I, oh, I didn't know that. I forgot about this extra 20 that I had in my, my jeans. Like, yeah, I didn't expect it because they've been saying that's not going to happen for so long. But We're, don't you, you would never that, see those others. Don't you think... There could have been possibly a, a, a weightier or heavier analogy to make than just coming across an extra 20 in your pocket. You know, like, this is much, much bigger than, oh, look, I found an extra 20 bucks. I can go to the drugstore and get some. I just thought that was so odd. And ironically, 
in this pair of Luke Skywalker sand-colored jeans is that $20 bill. Wow, so that's that'll add a little bit to the price then? Yeah, imagine how much that, that 20 has gone up in value since 76. Well, I guess it kind of depends on what capacity they're going to use him. Like, you know, if he's going to be some sort of Jedi Master training other people, he'd probably get excited about that. But, you know, he may end up just... You know, the story may focus on his kids, so you just see him, like, putting a scarf around him and sending them off to school, and then that's that's his whole part. No, see, I, I think it's going to be more... And it's it's hard not to make this comparison or think that this is kind of what we're going to get. You know, the first Abrams Star Trek film with, with Nimoy? Right, yes. I think it's going to be like that. I think it's, it's going to be at least that kind of screen time. Um to bridge the, the stories, whatever they, they may be. Um, maybe he'll go dark. Maybe, maybe he's going to be the threat. Maybe somehow that's going to end up being a tragic Shakespearean storyline where Could be. he's gone the way of his, of his pop-pop. Uh, oh, pop-pop. <laughs> Vader, pop-pop Vader. Uh, that's, that's crazy. Well, I'm going to we're gonna have to wrap this up soon so I can get my bids in. That's right. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. Um, speaking of Star Trek, uh, at yes. this point we both have seen Star Trek Into Darkness, but Correct. we're going to do the old, the old uh, GSI traditional uh, maneuver of telling you everything that happens in the movie. No, uh, of waiting until sort of the toward the end of the show, and then say, okay, for those of you that don't want to hear it, leave the room. The rest of you, you're going to get some spoilers. That's right. So yeah, we want to be able to talk about it freely, uh, but you know, there's still a chance some people haven't seen it. Like I, I was at the uh, uh, tournament of nerds this weekend, uh-huh. and one of the characters debating was the character that Benedict Cumberbatch plays, and uh, they felt very free to spoil a lot of things from the film oh. in the course of that. And you know, the film had only been out. Maybe thirty six hours at that point. Oh, so wow. yeah, yeah. Wow. So a little tough, a little tough for some of the audience members. Actually, as that character walked off stage at one point, I saw an audience member give them the finger. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, you know what though? We we said this last episode or whenever it was. I I do feel though that a a huge chunk of the audience and the, and the fan base. When the shoe does drop, they're not going to be surprised. Like, I think, whereas with other films I can think of, recent films, Iron Man 3, for example, no idea that particular curveball was, was coming and was so overjoyed that I had, I had no clue. Um, I don't think anyone, if anyone's guessing certain things about the second film, I, I'm sure they'll they'll know very, very quickly that they're they're correct, so... I, don't, I can't imagine it. there's going to be too much shock and horror about certain uh, revelations. But uh, we'll get to more details in a bit. Let's get right back to Star Wars. We might as well, because this is, this is big, because besides all the chatter about Hamill, Ford, and Fisher, are they in, are they out, what are they going to do, when are they going to make an announcement, how many more times can Harrison Ford make a goofy face when he's asked the question... There is some stuff brewing that seems pretty substantial. I think the people that broke it were Latino Review. What is it called? Latino Review? 
Yes, that's it. And they're pretty accurate, those guys. They, they usually get stuff about 90% right. The first word we're getting about Star Trek Episode 7... Star Wars. I'm sorry. Star Wars Episode 7 is that Jonathan Rhys Myers is in talks to sign on. I don't know as what or as who, but he's the first name amongst, I'm sure, hundreds we're going to start hearing about that's rumored to be in this new film. Uh, that's right. And, you know, he's already worked with Abrams in Mission Impossible 3, was it? Uh, I believe that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. So they already have a history. Um, so, yeah, the first thing I think of when I hear him, his name, um, is I, I've never been, I don't think he's terrible or anything. I've just never really gotten it. But um, the best thing he ever did, did you ever see Match Point, Woody Allen movie? No, I did not. You, if, you would have no clue that was a Woody Allen film. Uh, watching it, it it's, it's, a, it's a real change of pace and a, and a terrific movie so I recommend it and he was really really good in it uh, but most of the stuff I think he's pretty pretty one note but he also has a massive massive drinking problem <laughs> he, he truly does I mean it's no secret he, he you know airports and on set and being there on time you know all kinds of horror stories about this guy he's got a Get a real problem with the bottle, so um, that's what you're. That's what you're getting if you're getting this guy. So most people probably know him from the Tudors, that TV series. Yes, but uh, he's also going to be Dracula in that new NBC series. That is correct. So that seems like he's probably going to be pretty busy with that. Uh, so how's he going to how's he going to fit Star Wars in? Yeah, should it should it you know go and become a uh, a show. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not a hugely surprising name, I guess. When Are you saying Dracula if it gets picked up? Well, what I mean is if it if it goes longer than a season or so, like, who, who knows what will happen with, with that. Oh, I'm see. sure they'll find a way. Not a hugely surprising name, you know, when you hear it, you go, oh, well, he's probably, you know, probably thinking of him as a Jedi or a bad guy or, you know, something along those, those lines. Uh, speaking of television, this is a, Really strange. We're I'm, 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 we're going to get a whole mishmash of things I'm going to try to talk about at once here, and it has to do with 24 and what you just said about Dracula and the season finale of Doctor Who. First off, going back to Doctor Who real quick, without uh, getting into what I thought about it, the way the BBC America they're the way they cut in their commercials. It's got to be the worst of anyone ever in the history of television. Whoever does that should be killed. It's very jarring. It's so jarring. It, every single time you start to really get pulled in, they just they cut at the worst possible moment for you. It's, it's, it's infuriating. And I realize why it bothers me so much, not just the tonally, but how little of it I have to deal with, how much we watch on DVD or on instant, and how spoiled we are by that. Which brings me back to this remarkable time where things like Arrested Development uh, are coming back in another form, you know, on Netflix all at once, and that new things are happening, you know, directly to Netflix, all that crap. So 24, it's been announced, that show that Kiefer Sutherland went to do called I Touched Myself, what was it called? 
<laughs> what was that called? I don't know. I had the autistic kid. I think it was called Touch. Uh, maybe. Oh, and by the way, she passed away. Lead singer of the Divinals. Uh, uh, yes. Speaking of I Touched Myself, she um, yeah. passed away a, a week or two ago. Yeah. Um, so his, the, like the day after that show bit the dust, they announced that 24 was coming back in some way, shape, or form. Now, you seem to be someone that was a, was a 24 fan, and did you watch all the seasons? Uh, I did not watch all of them. I, I watched the first three pretty consistently, uh, and I think I might have watched the last one, uh, the last season, but yeah, it uh, it it's they had the issue of starting off very strong, and they they never had 24 episodes a season, I'll say that. It felt like they had about 12. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I probably kind of in the same boat as you. I watched it when it kicked off. I think I got through that second season to the point where the daughter was like being chased by a cougar. Or a yes, mountain lion. The, the, the mountain lion with the weird survivalist guy that lived in the hole. That was about where I yeah, and took I, a dive. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Now, my wife, you know, was a fairly avid uh, viewer. And so just recently we have, you know, it, the entire run of the show is on Netflix Instant. So we're able to take a page out of the Daniel and Abby viewer's guidebook and actually, you know, watch five or six in, in, in one go, because, you know, they're like 40-some minutes. Um, I'm just going to say, because I'm catching up on stuff. So I think we've gotten through now season three, um, five. We're kind of jumping around a bit. It is one of the most insanely mental shows I have ever seen. It's, it's completely mental. Like, you could have a drinking game with how many times you have to stop the show and go, now, wait a second, why would they not be covering the back exit? Or, you know, anything that's logical. And there's so much that's written that statements from characters just to catch the audience up, you know, just to say, wait a second, if we do that, but the call hasn't been substantiated, I realize that, but if we don't go right now, that man's going to die, and then the building is going to collapse, you know, because it's, it goes so fast. But it's, it's insane. It's, it's, it's it's like science fiction. It might as well be on like Sci-Fi Channel. Yes, but it's amazing, isn't it, to think that a show can go away with all kinds of fanfare and farewells and rumors of movies and stuff, and within a couple of years, come back to the network. Now, I we've seen you know many times shows jump networks. Like you know, one network drops a show, somebody else picks it up, and it goes on for two or three more seasons. But this is kind of a new phenomenon, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, it is kind of. You know, I think, you know, probably one of the most famous ones of those is uh, Futurama, yes. which is now is now going away again, as it turns out. Yes. But, uh, yeah, that that is not common. And, and, you know, it has to be impossible, almost, to get casts back together like that. Yeah. You know, I think 24 is a bit... Uh, for, fortunate with how they structure their show, uh, there there are a lot of moving pieces, and you kind of just need Jack Bauer, you know, to get that going again. Yeah, uh, swap out characters and and write them out. Like this guy's on vacation, or he's left the 
CTU or whatever. They they seem to do that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it is it is kind of strange, but I I think wonderful. I just wish some of the shows that I really like and would like to see more of would come back. Yeah, I haven't I haven't had any of my shows come back yet. I guess is what I'm saying. It's unfortunate, and it's like I'm not trying to take anything away from the audience from Fox from 24, but you know there there it's not like there aren't scenes or moments that you know are great writing and completely logical and and you know Mad Men style you know drama, but the majority of that show is is completely bonkers. I mean, it makes no sense and it's completely illogical and and just ridiculous, but you can, I can see why. First of all, if I had to watch it traditionally, you know, week to week, I, I never would have done it. I would have given up. You know, I couldn't do it. The way we're watching it is like, okay, okay, get to the next one. I gotta know what happens to the thing because it's so silly. Um, yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, or fortunately, whatever, that show was on for, you know, eight, eight, nine seasons, I think. And it's completely crazy. And every time we sort of find something, or I do, that I really start to fall in love with, it doesn't, it doesn't last. And um, the new normal, that, that sitcom that was on NBC, um, about the, the gay couple that have a, the surrogate that's pregnant with their kid and everything, you know, Ellen Barkin was in it, and... Um, it was just terrific. It's been yanked. It didn't get the didn't get the viewers, and I thought it was the, one of the best sitcoms um, I've seen in many years. What did you like about that? I just thought it was rapid fire. I thought uh, Ellen Barkin just being completely homophobic and kind of racist, and just being out there with it. I thought that the as much stereotype as they throw in with the, with the gay couple. Uh, there was a lot of believability to their dynamic, which you don't see a lot. It was it was very nice to see something you know different like that on on television, and it was also it didn't make anybody out to be holier than thou. It was a comedy, but there were times where you started to get Barkin's perspective on certain things, and then there were times where the the gay guys seemed hypocritical. They were saintly one minute, and then they were complete hypocrites. The next, um, the kid I thought was adorable. The little girl of the woman who, who was pregnant, I thought it was a great cast. Um, I just thought it was really sharp, very, very fast writing. You know, the kind you have to rewind a little bit to to, to catch up with. Did you did you not oh. like it? I did not. No. no. What I gave I gave about three of them a try. And now, why didn't you? What about what about it? Didn't you like? It just felt. Complete, like you said, it was kind of stereotypical and retread, and just sort of, you know, it, it felt like Aaron, Ellen Barkin was just sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, homophobic and hostile for hostility's sake. Uh, it just, it just never grabbed me. But I know, I know a lot of people dug it. I saw a lot of Facebook people, you know, that were really digging it. But it was just like, hmm, I, I didn't know why. Hmm. Yeah, no, I just thought it was very good. I mean. You know, uh, I suppose if the, if it, it it could have worked any which way, if it was a straight couple and she was a surrogate, whatever. I just thought it was great writing, and it moved very quickly. Um, and and it it you know popped the balloon every now and then. It would make these statements about people being homophobic, you know, toward them in a shopping mall or something when they you know seen them holding hands, and then it would 
you know, would get emotional about it and then completely burst the, the balloon a bit and make fun of them because of it or their sensitivity or whatever it was. It was, it was good at not uh, being, I thought, too lofty. You know, I, I thought it was, it was, the characters were pretty grounded. Um, I just thought it was very sharp. See, I really dug Go On, which I think was the lead-in to it, uh, but that's also been I canceled. Thought, so. I thought that was okay. I saw a couple of episodes, but it didn't, it didn't grab me. But yeah, that, that's gone. Um, what else? I'll tell you what, I, what I've been watching. I watched like five episodes, and then as, as soon as I did, I'm like, I can't believe I just watched five episodes. It's on Netflix called Hemlock Grove. Oh yeah, that's the that's their second sort of uh, exclusive show, right? And as all the ads and the posters, you know, can tell you, it's got to do with werewolves and the occult and weird stuff. It's insane. Like it, it. There are times there are certain bits of episodes where you go, "Oh, that's intriguing. Where is that going to go?" And then in the same episode, just something completely insane that they never mention again. Um, you have to fill in a lot of the blanks. Like they're really trying to keep you on the hook, but in a very sort of amateurish way. And some of the acting is atrocious. Um, so I get to a point where I go, I've invested some time here. Do I really want to go any further with this? And I, I don't think I'm going to. But very much like the um, House of Cards show, it just wasn't grabbing me. But then somewhere around episode four or five, it started to kind of click, and I started to to kind of see where this might be going, and I got more intrigued, um, and I, I ended up watching the whole thing, and I thought it was uh, very sharp, um, and and a great cliffhanger because I'm I was irritated by it. I suppose okay. I suppose that's a sign of a good well because you're like oh man that's where you're gonna leave me hanging you know. Um, so I thought that was that was pretty well pretty well done. Uh, you have some other casting news that is surfacing that is completely mental uh, about our old pal Arnie. Yeah, I saw a thing just kind of floating around about uh, possibly him being in a Toxic Avengers remake. I mean, where do you how do you where do you begin with that one? I don't know. What the hell? It's like, is, is that what he's reduced to? I mean, nothing against fans of Toxic Avenger or anything, but... But do you remember when the he sort of was winding down his governorship and that trailer got out about the, the animated series called The Governator? Oh, gosh, Do you yes. remember that? Oh, yes. And, and we all kind of thought it was a joke. I mean, I truly thought that it was like... Someone had put this together as a, a, a smart-ass, you know, kiss-off to the guy. But it was a real thing. And I remember reading about it, saying that it was like a, a full-on series. Like, some, it was a commitment of some kind. Yeah. What the hell happened to that thing? Oof, I think society prevailed, quite frankly. And he listened. Yes. That was just... I'm, sh- I'm sure it cost some people their jobs, but oof, ah, that was that looks stinky. That was really weird. Uh, did you see the one that he did? Well, I saw the Expendables, the second one, which he had a, a larger part in. But right. did you see the one that he did where he's like a sheriff? No. What was it called? Both both he both he and Stallone had like uh, 
I'm an old guy, uh, you know, too old for my job kind of movies at the same time. Oh, yeah. That's right. Stallone had that one that was like Bullet to the Head or something. Yeah. And that disappeared. I, I forgot that even came out. Yeah, they were both out about the same time. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, those, see, that would be, that'd be a good, like, double bill uh, rentals, like back-to-back rentals, seeing those guys uh, kick it around. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, speaking of gentlemen of the advanced uh, persuasion, there was a new trailer, well, actually, the first trailer that came out for Ender's Game. Did you see that? Uh, I did see that, yeah. Uh, with Harrison Ford and Ben Kingsley and uh, Harvey Firestein and who am I missing? Is Harvey Firestein in the film? Gladys Knight. No. No, no. I don't think you're there, I don't think you're accurate. I'm thinking of something else. Um, but uh, yeah, something has happened to his voice. You know, when you hear Arnold speak today, he pretty much sounds like Arnold. You hear Stallone talk. He sounds like Stallone. He sounds like he's kind of always spoken. He's maybe his voice is a little deeper, you know. But yep. you hear Al Pacino, for example. You, when you hear Al Pacino, anything from the seventies, it's kind of like this. It's a little higher, you know. It's okay, Pop. I'm gonna take care of it, Pop. You know, it's a little higher, just like Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke used to have a really, you know, kind of soft voice when he talked like this, you know. And then something happens. Pacino must have been like around Sea of Love or somewhere where it becomes much deeper and more gruff, you know. I think it was Scent of a Woman. Yeah, yeah. Said, well, Sea of, sea of Love was before that. I think it was something, uh, okay. something happens. I don't know what it is. And Mickey Rourke the same way. Like, you can't believe it's the same voice. Like, something is completely, you know, it, it, obviously it happens to people. It happens to singers where... Um, they just can't hit the notes they could hit when they were, you know, 25 or whatever. But Harrison Ford's voice has become this kind of, um, what would you say? Like, not a grumble, but like a... What am I it's doing? a mumble. Yeah, but it it's sounds, not a grumble. It's a mumble. It sounds it? dusty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound nice and clear. It sounds like he's... Because he's out on the ranch. Maybe he's got, you know, tumbleweed lung. He could have a very rare condition of tumbleweed love. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, you see it on the talk shows and you think, well, he's just tired or doesn't want to be there and he's just, like, he just woke up. But <laughs> yes. I think that may be his voice now. I think he may, he, that may be the Harrison Ford voice now. And he narrates this Ender's Game trailer and it just, it no longer sounds like the guy we grew up with, you know. I just wonder how that Ender's Game is going to do because of all the controversy surrounding the author. Yeah, same here. And I have very, very mixed feelings, I have to tell you, because um, he's really out there. I mean, he's, he's really got some very radical views. Yeah, and fans basically got him kicked off that Superman story uh, because of his sort of homophobic views and, and support. Uh, that tie into his Mormon faith. So I'm just wondering when this film comes out, if that sort of uprising is going to happen again, or if this is such a beloved uh, book franchise that, you know, that won't happen as much. I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know how much, you know, 
for those of you out there that don't know, you should just, for curiosity's sake, do some digging and read more about Orson Scott Card's conservative views. And, you know, everyone's entitled to however they think. But he's got some very, very, um, you know, it's funny. It's like I always make the analogy about African-Americans uh, in, in the, the civil rights movement, but, you know, with, uh, you know, interracial marriage, you know? Wow. Speaking of interracial marriage. Yeah, Henry, Henry wanted to get his viewpoint uh, across on that one, but he's just going to have to wait. You have to wait. Um, there was a great documentary that HBO did called The Lovings about this uh, interracial couple. Um, he was white and she was black. Uh, I want to say Atlanta or Alabama, I think maybe. Uh, I think so. Yeah. In the, in the, you know, and then they just wanted to be married, and it just—it's a great documentary because it's all about, you know, um, the the going to the Supreme Court and these lawyers that you know fought for them and all this stuff. But when you get to the end of it, um, it's it you know the the end card says this is what happened to so and so and this is what happened to so and so. The last the last state that on the books. It was illegal to be to be married as an interracial couple. Was um, Alabama? Was it Alabama? Was it? I, I know I'm forgetting where it was, but guess what year? It was still on the books that you could not be married as an interracial couple. Something like '86 or something, wasn't it? It was like 2008. Oh, okay. And you just go, what? Like I don't know if they were enforcing it or just how you know heavy that was, but like. You know, for a lot of these issues, and I, I we never get political on the show, and I'm, we don't need to open these doors, but I think about this guy and his, and his viewpoints, and if he was out there screaming about, you know, a, a black woman not being allowed to, that shouldn't marry a white guy or vice versa, you know what I mean? I, I just think if, if you read any of this stuff about this guy and his, and his viewpoints, and you you turned it around and applied it to you know, civil rights in, in, in that context, it would be shocking. It would be like, what year is it, for God's sake? You know? um, and so he's got some very unpopular, well, and I mean, in some circles, popular, but some very unpopular viewpoints. And it, it's kind of surprising to me just how strong they are that someone like a Harrison Ford, and I, know I'm, I don't know the guy, it's not like he, I don't think he's a saint. I'm sure he got paid buckets of money, but he's a pretty liberal guy. You know, mm -hmm. he does a lot for, for conservation, and he's, he's always been liberal, Democrat kind of thing. Um, kind of surprises me to, to get in, because this guy's very controversial. Obviously, sells books by the truckload, but he's got some very conservative, controversial viewpoints. So yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I was thinking the same thing. Like, I wonder if this is the kind of thing that will get picketed or boycotted, you know? Yeah, I just I just don't know, but... Just curious. I hadn't, I hadn't heard anyone, you know, right now he's just been sort of in the news uh, because of the Superman thing, uh, but hadn't heard anyone, you know, Ender's Game has been laying a little bit low, I think, you know, now it's just kind of, we're getting close enough to the release date where we're starting to see trailers and well, stuff. Well, tell but, people who don't know about the Superman thing what, what you're talking about, because I'm, I'm a little fuzzy, but... Uh, basically, he was... He was you know, he's written some comics before, and he was picked to write. Uh, the, I think Action Comics now is is broken up into short stories. So you know, there'll be two or three Superman stories in 
uh, in an issue, and he was chosen to write kind of an ongoing one, so there would be sort of pieces in uh, several episodes. And uh, there were some people that just thought that this this viewpoint of his did not match with the sort of idealism of Superman. And, uh, you know, really, I mean, boy, the word on all the the nerd blogs and the, you know, the, like the newsaramas and the bleeding cools, uh, there, was, there was a lot of to-do about that. And people were very upset by saying this guy and his viewpoint that he's very vocal about. And, you know, he's, again, entitled to believe and, and espouse what he wants to. That's what makes this country great. But it does not align with sort of the uh, ideals and, uh, and you know, sort of, you know, just fundamentals of Superman. And, and it looks like DC, you know, heard the fans and said, we get what you're saying. Uh, you know, we're, we're also, you know, going to, you know, our company and our parent company, Warner Brothers, we don't discriminate and that sort of thing. And, you know, so we're, we're going to pull that story for now. So, you know, that, that, that was kind of the, it in a nutshell. So he is uh, no longer writing that. You know, I, I'm not for censorship. And like you say, everyone's got their, their viewpoint. But I, it's, it's kind of nice to hear something like that because it, it's hard not to read some of this stuff that the guy has said and his, his, uh, his viewpoints and not, not find traces of actual sort of hatred in there. And not just a viewpoint about something that was written thousands of years ago or, you know, a belief system there. And that, that's very frightening to me when it comes from a, a, that, that kind of uh, standpoint. Because really, you know, when you talk about the, the, the gay issue in gay, gay rights or gay marriage, whatever, however you feel about it, it really is, in my mind, the last sort of, you know, hurdle. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you know, civil rights. Un- un- until the aliens come. Right, until the aliens... Well, I mean, a lot of them are in Vegas, let's be honest. They're, <laughs> right, they've yeah. assimilated, and they're, they're walking around in Vegas. Um, it really is the last big uh, controversial sort of movement or, or progressive sort of movement. I don't know what's left you know, to be shocked over or you know, whatever. Um, and in many ways, just like that, that documentary I was talking about, The Lovings, you, you, you can't believe that what they were going through and the things that were going on, the, 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 and there are still hate crimes, you know, terrible things are happening to all kinds of belief systems and, and minorities and um, orientations, you name it. But when you see this documentary, it's, it's shocking that you're talking about, you know, 40, 50 years ago, some of this violence and some of this hatred. It's not that long ago that that it was illegal in, in in most states to marry someone that was a different race. It's just it's just mind-boggling, um, and he's kind of got these very very strong viewpoints that are sort of restricting. It, it, it's it's good to hear. It's nice to hear that because they were they were using Superman as sort of their their guidepost or their whatever you want to say that you know would Superman you know, as a character, should he be written by someone with this sort of belief system? And um, it's kind of nice to hear something like that happening that way. Because um, it's, I mean, I don't really view that as censorship as such. Right. Um, but, 
It's, it's, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to see yeah. what happens with this. Yeah. Um, what else is happening? Well, did you, you know, back to TV a little bit, did you get to see the trailer for the S.H.I.E.L.D. show that's coming? No, and I was... Oh, really? I was never a fan... Wait, are we talking about the S.H.I.E.L.D., like the... What's his name? The S.H.I.E.L.D.? The thing? Like Michael Chiklis? No, we're talking about the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh! TV show Sorry. coming to ABC. Yes, yes, I did see that. I thought you were telling me the S.H.I.E.L.D. was coming back, like another show was coming back. No, Michael Chiklis is still on that Vegas show. Okay. <laughs> Wait, he's not, he's not on the show where his family's all got superpowers? No, that show is gone off. Oh, okay. Um, yes, I saw it, and I, of course, am very much looking forward to it. And somehow, Agent Coulson has returned. Well, I just figure these are all cases that were happening before the, the big Avengers hullabaloo. No, they clearly state that he's somehow alive. Then I maybe I'm not seeing that particular trailer. The one I saw oh. was just kind of saying, "Here's some stuff that's gone down. There are there's an organization out there to to fight it." And it seemed like it was saying, "Here are all the tales that we haven't been able to tell you yet." You know, leading up to these other films or movies, you know, or stories or whatever. Um, so there, the premise of this and the the timeline is that it's after the Avengers? That is correct. Oh. And and that's why there is the hashtag of Colson Lives was attached to the trailer. Oh. Yeah. See, my thing was, do you remember how we talked about this where, like, they mentioned the girlfriend in, in the Avengers briefly that she was a cellist? Yes. And uh, other little inside jokes were made and... Um, What's the one that I think there was one point where Tony Stark picks up the phone and says, "You've reached the the life decoy, life model decoy of Tony Stark or something." Yes, yeah. Well, people picked up on that and were saying that these were all references to the Vision, the character right. of the Vision, and then maybe Coulson is going to somehow still be kicking and eventually become the Vision or something, which I think would be no. awesome. Doesn't look like that is the case, currently. but apparently right. that. But somehow he's alive and he did not get killed. That is correct. Well, but see, I don't know about that because that's what got everybody together. I know. Made, but we'll have to figure out how they handle that. So made him fight. Uh, so I, I feel like we have to talk about the the Doctor Who finale. Yes, that blew my mind, yeah. and I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it. I got to tell you. Not to sound like too much of a little girl here, but that that first like two minutes, I was almost in tears. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen the season finale of of Doctor Who right now, this is going to be a little bit of spoilery bits, but I think we kind of have to talk about it. But yeah, that that first opening thing where Clara was interacting with all the other doctors oh. or most most of them was awesome. Oh. Just, just the so well done. Just the opening. You don't know where you are, and those two guys just look like mechanics or whatever are talking, and they're um, they say something like, "What's going on?" Like, who would steal an old model with a malfunction? A broken, a broken yeah, a yeah. malfunctioning card. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my god!" 
And then it pulls back and it's Gallifrey and it says a very long time ago sort of thing. Um, I just thought it was, it was great and I thought the episode was great. The episode was fantastic yeah. and mind-bending, but then it got to that last, <laughs> I don't know, and great work for Matt Smith in this episode, too. He was dying oh. throughout. Yeah, he's just, even the weakest episodes this season, he just, I, I find him so watchable and so, so fun to, to, to follow. You know, but as good as the writing is and as good as the show is, when it's a Moffat episode, when Stephen Moffat writes one, I just think it's, you're just in for a treat because he takes it places that you hadn't thought of or you wouldn't think of. And just her character, when we sort of get the explanation of her character and why she is and who she is and what she does, I thought was brilliant. And he just, just when you think he can't get more clever with the way he, he writes and talks about time travel, yeah. He does something else that you go, oh my god! Like, where did that come from? You know, um, and Rich and a lot of little Easter eggs from throughout Doctor Who history. You know, there's some things sort of referenced in this that, you know, come from the books. And you know, I've seen a couple of breakdowns and analysis of this thing that's just mind blowing. Oh. And also, you know that Moffat has had this in mind for the whole season. You know, because he's been, he does that sort of gaming thing where there's these little nuggets seeded in that have led to this. There's a couple of references about the name and some of the other things they call him uh, and stuff like that that were throughout the season. It's just crazy. Yeah, just just the the Richard e, Richard E. Grant's another one of those guys that I could just you know watch standing in a hole. I just think he's brilliant, and he's in you know with Mill and I it was the first thing he ever did back in '87, and that's when I fell in love with him as everybody else, and everything he's done since. I, it's hard not to think of him as as with Mill, but um, you know, ironically, he he actually played the Doctor in uh, an online adventure in the doldrums just before the show was going to come back. It was this animated thing online. Uh, I think it's called The Scream of the Shalka or something, and he actually played the Doctor. So to see them face off was was great, but he's you know playing the the great intelligence, which comes back you know goes back to the '60s. He mentions the Daleks and the Cybermen and uh, the Sycorax and just all these races from the past of the show and the names that he's been called, like the Valyard. The Valyard, you know, was from the Trial of a Time Lord, the Colin Baker second season, which nobody cares about. I mean, it, there were some great little winks to the audience and the fan base. Yep. Um, uh, it's so well done, and and essentially, you know, a cliffhanger. Um, that <laughs> I'll say. I mean, what I mean, to, I mean, just that. I don't want to spoil the ending for anybody, but just that ending, the reveal, and then to be continued, November twenty third, was so like just gave me chills. You know, that first thirty forty seconds, I was nearly in tears because it just was like it, it's all going to start to happen now, and. For me, personally, it takes me back many, many years and makes me feel very old, but I start thinking about first watching that show as, as a kid and discovering very slowly, because the information output was so slow to get my hands on this stuff, the history of the character and how many other actors and yada yada. Um, so to, to just the, the weight of it, you know, and the and, and the history and everything that's going to come in the fall. Uh, I have no idea what we're going to get, but 
it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Well, yeah, we sort of talked about how it didn't feel like it was building to this 50th anniversary. Like, it just felt like, how are we going to get there? You know, is it just going to be this one episode all of a sudden where we go, oh, happy 50th, everyone. But this this lit a rocket under that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, 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 it seemed like there was some, I don't want to say wasted time this season, but it, it certainly didn't seem like there was a thread in every episode that was referencing this ep- this finale or you know the the, the anniversary or whatever uh, little bits here and there, but it really picked up steam in this. This episode was the, I think the best of the season by far, um, just just miles ahead of the other ones. Um, so it's going to be a, a a great Comic Con. I think there's going to be Doctor Who everywhere at Comic Con, building up for that that anniversary. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. I mean, 50 years. Like I said, I can remember the 20th anniversary and getting excited for that and picking up the, the paperback, uh, The Five mm-hmm. Doctors, picking it up, not reading it until the show aired. And then there was a 20th anniversary hardcover book called uh, Doctor Who, A Celebration, which for me was like Wikipedia because it was the most information about the show that I ever got in one place. And it was, you know, I'm probably wrong, but I think it must have been about 30 bucks in 83. That was a lot of money to spend on a hardcover book for a 12, 13-year-old. And I had to order it special and everything. And that was a big deal. You know, the show had been on for 20 years. And now we're at 50. And that's just, it's kind of hard for me to take, to be honest. (laughs) We're old. Yeah, we are. Uh, God, change the subject. Speaking of Superman and all this crap, yeah, <laughs> Target is, what the hell is going on with this Man of Steel stuff? It's both Target and Toys R Us, it feels like. Neither of them have reset and put any of that stuff out. I have heard in other parts of the country some Targets have reset. And one guy I saw a post today said his Target has sold through the pegs six times. But here, there is nothing, and they won't even get them for you. It's, it seemed like a game, but I don't know why you would, you know, there was a release date on these things. It's printed on the box. It was like uh, May 28th or something, or uh, it was April. It was like that Sunday in April, oh. last Sunday. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Walmart has been putting this stuff out, and why would you not try and compete with that? I don't know. You know, get the product to the floor. And as far as I can tell... If you go to the Toys R Us website, as far as I can tell, you can order off the website. Yeah. They have stuff on the website, and you could order all this crap, but it's not in the, in the stores. Now, the movie masters that are out, it's just the three that are out right now. Is that right? So far, yeah. Because there's also going to be a new, another Zod in different armor. There's a different Superman. There's the female character whose name I forgot. Yeah. So there's at least three more movie masters that are supposed to be happening. And then there's the the Comic-Con 2-pack. Which is? Uh, so they said it's the final battle between Superman and Zod. Okay. And the movie comes out when? July? Uh, uh, June 14th. Oh, June 14th. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm getting uh, excited about that. Can we start talking about Star Trek yet? Not quite yet. We've got some other things we've got to hit first. All right, let's go. Uh, today, this was big news, the Xbox, the new version of Xbox that is coming, and it will be coming this calendar year, we found out, uh-huh. uh, called the Xbox One. 
was announced by Microsoft today. So a couple of weeks back, maybe a month ago, we got to see a little bit about the PlayStation 4 uh, and what that will entail. But now today was the big Xbox thing. They actually showed the box, which PlayStation did not show the PlayStation 4. Uh, and it's a, it's a box. It is a black box which I think stumped a lot of people because, you know, when you think about the 360, it's this sort of, you know, rounded corner, uh, white, or, or, you know, this thing you can put these different face plates on and skin. This is a, this is a black box. Okay. I- but uh, it comes with the Kinect, and there's a lot of new functionality built in with the Kinect. Okay. That, that seems pretty exciting. You know, it's got a lot more power. Both Microsoft and PlayStation have chosen not to make these new next-gen consoles backwards compatible. So that means all the stuff we have bought for the PlayStation 3 or Xbox 360s, we better hold on to those consoles because they won't be played on these, which I think is a mistake. I think that's kind of crappy. But, you know, I I have a lot of PlayStation 3 games, so that's disappointing to me. If I knew or cared more about what you were saying, I would have to agree. I think that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, but they also, they, talk, they talked a lot about, you know, what we have talked about, how there's, uh, you know, with the Netflix and the Amazons doing their original programming, they are also announcing uh, Xbox TV. So they are going to have original programming. One of the former executives of CBS is heading that up. And one of the first programs they announced is a uh, series based on the Halo games that is being produced by Mr. Steven Spielberg, who made a video appearance to announce the show. Now, Halo... Halo... Halo! Halo! Halo Halo's already had, like, three or four direct-to-DVD uh, films that have, that have come out. Is that correct? Uh, not that I know of. Have they? Oh, yeah. Like, oh. uh, like live-action? Yes. Yeah, you can you can find them on uh, Netflix Instant actually. Oh. Yeah. Um, so uh, I thought I I figured that. I mean, I I just discovered this myself, but because uh, I mean I saw one that was like it was called like Halo Three or something. So I'm, I'm guessing there were several that have been made. Um, oh, that's that's uh, that's the one with Master Master Chef. <laughs> yes, the Master Chef. The Master Chef that. Um, He's he's a hero because he cooks for all the soldiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. You can't you can't. Uh, he brings he brings the chuck wagon yeah. while they're fighting. Can't go to war on an empty stomach. That's right. An old saying. So that's that's big. You know, I'm sure we'll see a lot more with that uh, next month at E3. You know, they they had uh, some of the guys like the Electronic Arts guy came and talked about all the new sports titles. The Activision guys showed up. And talked about the next Call of Duty, which looks, you know, I'm not a Call of Duty fan. I don't, you know, play that franchise, but this looked gorgeous. The, is, the rendering uh, power of this thing. Uh, and they showed kind of a side-by-side between the previous generation Call of Duty and this new one. It was night and day what they're able to do. That is D-U-T-Y, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Just yeah. for some of our younger viewers, listeners. So, uh, in other video game news... Uh, there's a new trailer for Batman Arkham Origin. They did a little teaser, but now there's a full trailer, about three minutes long, and it looks fantastic. It looks very cinematic, very theatrical. Uh, This is a game that is going back to kind of year one of Batman. 
and uh, it is him on Christmas Eve fighting with a bunch of uh, assassins that are out to kill him. I thought they were out to, um, they were shopping. Wasn't that, wasn't that part of it? No. You clearly have not watched I ha- I have. They're, they're, they're what? outside a mall waiting for it to open. That is not the case. And um, they're, they're fighting over a, a Turbo Man? Was that what it was? No, you watched something different. Are you sure? I am absolutely sure. Okay, well, I'll have to go back and look at it again. Um, okay, that's it's very pretty, cool. That's we'll, we'll put a link in with the show notes. Uh, you know, Deadpool shows up, Deadshot shows up. Yeah, I watched it. It just seemed like a bit, one, like a three-minute fight to me. I mean, it looked cool. I mean, it looked very, very cinematic, very live action. Uh, yeah, there's there's no gameplay yet. It's it's a cutscene. Yeah, but, like uh, a big old looks great. Big old fight. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, something. Uh, that I've been watching, just real quick, um, speaking of uh, BBC America and such. I've talked about this before because we watched the f- I watched the first series. It's a British show called The Hour. And um, we, you know, we're getting loads of screeners, like everything you can imagine. And uh, so I'm finally catching up on the second series. And it's, um, it's basically, I guess it's kind of like a, a slightly dirtier, grittier Mad Men uh, but, uh, you know, in the UK, it's about 1960 or so. And mm-hmm. um, the the gist of it is following this team of of, of people that, that produce and host a show called The Hour, which is a weekly news program uh, that airs like on the, a Saturday or Sunday night or something. Um, the period detail is amazing. But besides the inner workings of the show and the, and the detail in there, which is fantastic, there are always... There's always in political sort of intrigue for the time or the area, and this this new one is is great. I'm like three episodes in, and it's just again, it's only like six episodes, five or six episodes. That's it. That's the whole season. You know, 24 is like you said, it's like 12 or 20 some episodes. This is it's 24 episodes. This is it's nothing. A- it's just gone. You know, but it's amazing writing and great acting, um, and. Uh, a guy called Ben, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but Ben Wishaw, who was in the first series as well. He was also in Cloud Atlas. He's also the new Q in the new in Skyfall. Um, he's in it, and uh, Dominic, uh, you know, from the from the, uh, yeah, the Wire, McNulty. Yep, he's in it, and Peter Capaldi, who is in the British series called um, The Thick of It which they eventually made a, a, a movie a couple years ago called In the Loop. I'm not sure if you mm-hmm. saw that. Uh, they took some of the same characters and they took some of the same actors, changed the characters' names, brought it to D.C. But the whole team that worked on that, uh, it's a political uh, comedy, a, a lot of that same team is doing Veep on HBO. Right. Uh, yep. So Peter Capaldi is the lead in uh, The Thick of It, and he's in this new series as well. So it's always great to see him in anything. Um, but I should jump in because we're already running a little long here and we've got to get to Star Trek Into Darkness. We might have to save some other stuff because we've got to spend at least five minutes on Star Trek and we don't want to make this a, a motion picture of our own. So okay. uh, let's, let's get to it without... I will let you take the lead as far as how spoilery you want to go, I guess. Well, I think, I think this is the opportunity to say if you haven't seen it yet, uh, turn it off and then wait till you see it and then come back. Okay. Because it, I think it's kind of impossible to talk about the film without discussing some of the 
the twists and turns in the structure and, and, and kind of the storyline they went with here. So this is your fair warning. We're going to be talking about the movie. It's going to be spoiler-filled. And here we go. All right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you next week if you haven't uh, seen it yet. So. All right. Uh, so, yeah, it's The Wrath of Khan. Reimagined. Yeah. Despite them telling us over and over again that it was not. Well, they went to great lengths to say this was not that. Well, they went to great lengths. I feel like they went to great lengths to tell us that, uh, that, that Cumberbatch is not Khan. I'm not sure about the storyline itself. I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Like I, I was fully expecting him to be Khan. Uh, that didn't surprise me in the least. But the fact that they recycled so much from Khan, uh, I think, was a mistake. Like again, I loved, loved, loved the first one. Uh, I'm okay with the cast for the most part, except for Chekhov. I think he's ludicrous. Um, and, I, and the cast is great. Everyone does a great job, and there's some really good stuff in it. It's just that when you get to that midway point, and it, you start to figure out what's going on, and like there are these you know bits of dialogue and lines, and then just complete uh, major moments recycled but altered slightly. And I'm going, why are they doing this? You know, the reason that that Wrath of Khan worked. The way that it did, and it, and it, and it, it, you know, we were just talking about Doctor Who. What, what I was thinking about watching that episode is the emotion in it, and the sentiment, and the sadness, or whatever. Doctor Who, throughout its history, was really it had moments, but they were few and very far between of of emotion, of even saying goodbye to companions, a hug here, a handshake there. I mean, that was that was it. It was not a, not an emotional show. So to see it in the new series really takes it in a different direction, which is, you know, in many ways, you know, welcome. The reason that Wrath of Khan, I, this is all my opinion, worked the way that it did was it brought more weight and emotion to these characters because of their history, because of the amount of time that they had spent together and, you know, that age was the major theme of that movie and mortality before we even... And, and, and the needs of the many outweigh the needs of few or the one. Yes. But, you know, Kirk's whole thing, the, 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 the captain's chair being taken away and, you know, feeling his age and having to wear, you know, bifocals and all this stuff, um, very early on, before we even get to the big revelation, and, and Khan's story as well, it's all about time and age and, and trying to recapture youth and all that stuff. Well, it's really difficult to do that in your second film with a, a cast you've only known for a couple of years. And it just... For a couple of hours. Yeah, really. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's about four hours we've been with them. Yeah, it just doesn't work. You know, you can't expect to have the same kind of emotional investment in these characters as you, as you did. And so I think it was a mistake to, to do that. Don't, do you think? Uh, I, I just think it was... A, I, I, it's one of those films I don't feel needs to be remade or reimagined. You know, the, there was nothing new. And, that, you know, again, this is from someone that, you know, Wrath of Khan is probably in my top ten movies. Uh, seen it, you know, dozens and dozens of times. My wife really liked this movie because she is not familiar with Wrath of Khan. Uh -huh. She came out there going, this is fantastic. That was great. What a joy. 
But for me, it just felt like even though they, they tweaked some stuff and they flipped some stuff on the, its ear, we knew everything that was kind of coming. And there was some stuff they telegraphed so poorly that it was, you know, very frustrating. You, and, you know, I don't want to be one of those, what's that? I was going to say, can you give me an example of specifically what you mean with that one? Uh, the, well, that's the, the, the Khan's blood being able to resurrect things. Oh, right, okay. And the Tribble and that, you know. But didn't you just like think, that. I mean, I, I, there's no way to talk about this without a spoiler, but... Well, we're spoiling. We're in it. People, people know. Yeah, okay. Well, one of, the, one of the most memorable things from the Wrath of Khan <laughs> that has been spoofed and talked about and is in the, the beautiful Diamond, um, the diamond uh, Wrath of Khan communicator, you can literally put it to the Khan button. <laughs> Just hold the button down and it'll yell Khan over and over and over and over again in Shat- you know, Shatner's voice you know, doing it. That is a huge moment from that movie. They recycle yeah. it in this new film, and people were laughing. Like, it just doesn't work. I know what you're, tr- what you're trying to do or what you're referencing, but didn't that just seem clumsy to you? Like, oh, yeah. what are you doing? You know, I just thought that was such a mistake, you know? Yeah. And um, as uh, our old pal Brian Heiler pointed out also, oh, I can't even talk about this because you haven't seen it. But um, it was very much Skyfall. It was very much the story of the villain in Skyfall. Oh, okay. He was a product of um, MI6. He was hung out to dry, and he's coming back for revenge, destroying it from the inside kind of thing. But it's, just, it's, it's starting to feel a little bit, you know, uh, I, I have been his champion for a long time, I feel like, but uh, I'm, I am starting to lose the luster for Damon Lindelof. As far as putting, putting, you know, setting things up that do not pay off. You're just starting to. Yes. You are way behind the rest of us, pal. Way. It, it, I mean, it, it, it started with uh, Prometheus. Oh, good lord. In force, but uh, yeah, this was. It, there was just so much stuff. Like, it made no sense why, uh, you know, Alice Eve had a English accent and her dad didn't. Yeah. You know, just stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> and also you know? if she's supposed to be the same character from the originals. I mean, yeah. Khan, too. Like, you know, he has the moment where he talks to Spock Prime, which was cool. Always welcome to see Nimoy, however long he yeah. got him left. You know, and says, did you have a thing with Khan? Well, if it's the same, you're not even trying. I mean, it's not even, not even close to what Khan was in the originals. Yeah. And I suppose I get that, but it's like sometimes you do it and sometimes you don't. Like sometimes you get bones. You know, McCoy is like he's he's dead on. He's really trying. Spock clearly is trying to do a bit of an impression of of Nimoy, and then you know the rest of the cast. It really doesn't seem to to matter much. So it's it's very strange that the choices that are made. But um, yeah, Lindelof is the king of starting stuff and just letting it hang. I mean, if we if we really take all this to its, uh, you know, its logical ending and conclusion, if we have Khan and his people in those torpedoes, we just keep taking their blood and bringing people. You know, death has been solved at this point. Yeah, 
We brought Kirk back. We brought Tribbles back. It works on animals. It works on people. Death has been absolved. That's fantastic. See, and it's it's a shame because there there's a danger. You know, um, in, in the first one, that's why I like the first one so much. I keep saying it, but the reboot I thought was genius. And to keep that original timeline, I couldn't think of a better way to do it. I never would have thought of it. It's really well done. So much of it was well done, yada, yada. When it did sort of wink, it wasn't a huge wink. Okay, yeah, Kirk's making out with the green chick. Okay, we know what that means. The Kobayashi Maru, we've heard about this, and here it is. Uh, you know, little things. This one, there was a lot of fan service. There was a lot that was said. I mean, just the Sulu stuff. They made about two or three jokes about Sulu getting the captain's chair and how good it felt. Yeah. Well, everybody knows George Takei was pushing real hard for a long time to get, to get his, own, his show. own show. I yeah. mean, if you do that too much, you, you, it's a danger, I think. And uh, somewhere, this shouldn't have been two things. If you want to bring Khan back, bring him back and do something with it. It, it's, I said this before about Superman Returns, and people, I know people love that movie, but it, it's supposed to be this continuation, but in, in many respects, it's the same movie as the first movie. I mean, even some of the dialogue between Lex Luthor and, the, and, the, and Parker Posey is lifted directly from the first movie. So when yeah. are you doing a, a sequel, a reimagining? When are you doing a remake? And somewhere with Star Trek, they said, let's just, you know... Because the first one didn't feel like a, it wasn't a remake, like yeah. you know, even like the at the end when when uh, uh, Chris, Captain Pike gives the ship to to Kirk, the end of the first film, Pike is wearing what looks very much like a Starfleet uniform from Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Right. It's a very simple. You're a fan. You go, oh, look at the way the sleeve is. It's you know, motion picture. But it doesn't mean we're going to go off and look for V'ger. You know, it's just, it's just enough to whet the appetite, sort of. And then suddenly yeah. this became, let's remake a section of the movie. Yeah. Right? I mean, wouldn't you say, like, a good oh, yeah. quarter of the movie was, was, was essentially a remake? Yes. Well, the whole thing was just sort of a reimagining. It's like, let's take this story and twist it around a little bit, and there you go. You know? Yeah. But it was just like, it, it felt like Starfleet was about... 13 guys, you know, normally in the old series when they'd show Starfleet, there was like 600 people in a room with a weird alien president. Uh, you know, it felt like the Enterprise and the Killer Prize were the only ships in the fleet. Yeah. Uh, and it was just like, was RoboCop bad or not? Well, turns out he was right about Khan, but he does want to start a war. Do we like that guy, don't we? Yeah. No, it's it's... I'm with you on all that. And the other thing, you know, that we were talking about with Khan, and I was saying that the reason that the emotion was there, uh, especially for Kirk and Spock and their relationship, which they, you could tell they were trying. They were trying to push that through as quickly as they could in the early parts of the film and go, let's build this relationship. Let's make it into something really big because something big is going to happen and we have to have some kind of payoff with the, with the weight and everything. Um, the other thing that worked for, for Wrath of Khan was Khan himself. Uh, not just his presence, not just Montalban being larger than life, but he already had a, he had a history with Kirk. Yes. He, yep. he had a history with the, with the crew and with Kirk. And there was 
a revenge tale going on here. Like there's yeah, it was Moby Dick in space at that point. Yeah, there's nothing invested at this point between Khan and Kirk. Even if they had done it aside, and Kirk was like, "Oh, wait a second, I remember that guy. You know, I uh, helped put him away or whatever." But you couldn't. You know, there there was no there was no history there. I mean, it it, it seemed like even elements were. I mean, a, quite a few elements were lifted directly from Space Seed, the episode yes. from the 60s. Yep. And it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, they were talking about the eugenics war and yeah, and all that. So that was still the same. But and, and that's not to say, you know, there were certainly parts of the film I enjoyed, and it looked good, and I thought Benedict Cumberbatch did a very good job. But just coming out of it as a whole, for me, it, it just didn't gel. Yeah, and it, I, I agree. Cumberbatch was great. The, I, I'm really, really starting to fall for the, the, the theme, the new that sort of Star Trek theme that they sort of have going. Yeah, I thought the, the Michael Giacchino score for the whole thing was terrific. Yeah, um, yeah, there were there, and there were you know the, the 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 actual assassinations, you know that whole sequence. I mean, there's some some good stuff there, and the effects are amazing. And there were bits with Scotty that were great. They used him in a very clever way and some of that suspense and, and comedy thrown in was, was great. Um, it's just that it just felt muddled. It was like, you can't have both things. And, uh, it just felt like it was something that should have been saved for the fourth film. Agreed. If you had done something like this for the fourth picture in this series, whatever, with the same cast that you'd really have something. You would have earned it more. Yes, exactly. You would have earned. It. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no earning it here. It's like Spock and Kirk are still getting to know each other. Yeah. And it just doesn't, just doesn't work. You know. Um, so I, I guess you know, a, a, a bit of a disappointment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, you know, I, I would have been fine with them ending it, you know, right as Kirk died, and not that whole. Suddenly, Khan is back, and they're fighting on top of a bus or something. And you hurry shows her, up. <laughs> hurry, get his blood. Uh, yeah, uh, it's sort of everything from then on for me was like, ugh, ugh, this this didn't need to keep going. Wow. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you probably liked it a little less than than I did, but I think we're kind of in the same in the same boat. It just shouldn't have just shouldn't have gone the way it it did. It just wasn't. Um, it just wasn't a smart move, I don't think. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that seems to be, I'm sure it's going to make, I mean, I hope it makes buckets of money because I want more of these movies. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I'm hearing very similar things online where people are going, ugh, why did they, What? whose idea was this, you know? I, I saw, uh, leading up to it, before I saw it, I saw a lot of people that thought it was better than the first. They loved it, you know, and, you know, that's fine. Clearly it's, it's, uh, it's resonating with some people, and maybe those people aren't familiar with Wrath of Khan or something like that. And more power to them. You know, if you enjoyed it, I don't. I don't want to detract from anyone's enjoyment of it. But for me, uh, it, it it didn't gel, and it didn't uh, improve upon the original. No, and also, I don't think it's in the same league as the as the first one. I think the first one is, you know, I've sure gotten minor quibbles with it, and. Look, like I always say about some of this stuff, they're going to do it with or without us. It's just a matter of, you know, how much, you know, do I want Kirk to be this kind of snot-nosed, you know, punk that, that you know, 
doesn't earn the captainship. And, you know, like, eh, you know, I've got some problems with some of that stuff. But, okay, that's the road they're taking it. Are they going to pull it off? Is this guy going to be good? Am I going to believe this, that, and the other thing? And they did it for me. And you watched that? Because I watched it since seeing Into Darkness. And I think it's, I mean, I, I don't think it's in the same league. I just don't think, I, I don't think it's nearly as good as the first one. Yeah. But again, still a good a good movie. Still, still a good two hours and and um, worth your time. Just I, I, yeah, there's there's some great elements to it. Absolutely, some great humor. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I just wish they hadn't gone the way they did. Yes, you know. But uh, you know, uh, here's here's um, hoping for the third one where where Kirk gets to fight God. No, that's the fifth one. Third is uh, they have to go and find Spock. No, I know. I just want them to jump right to the God thing. Oh, really? Yeah, let's get to it. Why does God need a starship? Yeah, best best line, one of the best lines in any of the films. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, excuse me. What does God need with a starship? And delivered only as Shatner can deliver a line like that. Wasn't that the one that started like in Yosemite? Uh, I believe so. Or was that... Because that was they went from the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one as the central theme to row 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 your boat life is but a dream and as the central and and I hate to remind you fart jokes you know they were, yeah. they were making yep. fart jokes eating beans you know it was somebody between Shatner and somebody at Paramount saying. You know, four was so popular and worked so well with the comedy. Let's take it a little further. Yeah. And they took it too far. Uh, but I will say, it's got some good stuff in it. It's not. It's not a complete waste. There are some good moments, especially the moment that uh, uh, Leo Bascalia there, um, the Vulcan with the emotions, gets M- McCoy to talk about his his dad. Could be just about the best acting DeForest Kelly has ever done, ever did. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. terrific in that in that scene. So there you go. That's what we thought right. of uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. Well, we still have another, enough topics for another episode, so let's do this again real soon. Yeah, we should. All Star right. Trek The Wrath of Darkness. That's right. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, have a good week, everyone. Uh, sorry we're a little bit delayed, but hey, you still got an episode this week, so yeah. there you go. Sometimes, you know, our real lives can get in the way of our internet lives. That's correct. And, and this is what, uh, you know, but we're still here for you. That's right. So have a good week. We'll talk at you again next week. Thanks, everybody. Shiny. Let's be bad guys. Secrets of nature's deepest mystery.